See? We told you Carl Kirkwood was special. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Welcome to episode 435 of Motorsport 101. I'm your friendly neighborhood host, Dre Harrison. And wow, uh, IndyCar was back at Long Beach this weekend for a hectic race's worth of action. And we are celebrating a brand new winner in the IndyCar series. And his name is King Kyle Kirkwood. Just, just like all the people predicted out there. I mean, he was... 20 to 1 to win this race going into the weekend. So that was a big upset win um, for us this time around in IndyCar. But we'll get into that in a little bit because we actually have a special guest of us on this edition of the show. We'll get into that in just a minute. But uh, first up, RJ O'Connell, how's it going, man? I give our newest IndyCar race winner a big thumbs up. Mm. Just like the one that he gave David Malukas in practice before the weekend really kicked off. A big thumbs up. That's got to be his new victory celebration. I think he's he's got to make it like his versions of Sebastian Vettel's finger. He's got to give it the big thumbs up. The most sarcastic pointing thumbs up I think I've ever heard in my life. It's uh, got the big like vibe of the uh, the Curtis Mayfield move on up vi- uh, thing where <laughs> something terrible is about to happen, but then they reverse it and it comes on and says, It's fine! it's it's all good it's all good but yeah we'll get into some of that action in a minute but we want to introduce our special guest uh she is from queen's design she's driver and illustrator for them uh a very prominent esports team and an important stride in terms of diversity welcome to the motorsport 101 ruby acosta hello hi hi everybody thank you for having me on it i it, this is really uh special for me my first podcast, actually. <laughs> oh my gosh, wow. Is this your first ever podcast? Yeah, it is. I'm so sorry you're stuck with us. Um, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> but uh, no, pleasure to have you on, Ruby. And, you know, we wanted to talk, um, I mean, we, we one episode ago, I don't know if I mean, you probably haven't heard it yet because we really just put up on early access yesterday. We but, just um, finished it. We just finished it yesterday, but uh, we talked about MotoGP and the unfortunate nature of having a transphobic woman sing the national anthem, which was annoying as shit. Um, listen to the end of that episode for, if you want to hear more of my thoughts on that. But we are firm believers in practicing what we preach and paying it forward. And I wanted to give you, Ruby, the platform to be able to talk about Queen's design. Again, props to RJ for, for coming up with the, with the great idea to have you on as a guest. But um speak your truth ruby tell tell the good people out there about queen's design and the mission of the project yeah well um queen's design we started this project um uh last year in january um and we've gone pretty far since then uh our our mission is sort of our mission is to sort of uh give uh lgbtq plus people um a space in sim racing esports and a space of sim racing in general because um a lot like um um real motorsports sim racing in itself is very um male dominated and it's very sort of like a like a oh, how do you say it in english it, it's just like a bit of machismo in it as well oh there's, just just a little bit yeah you know <laughs> it's homogenous a, yes it is very homogenous and very um i want to say um not old people oriented old man oriented but it's the kind of old man oriented where 
on the forum signatures, I see a lot wife to make me coffee in the middle of like their PC specs and stuff. So Ugh. we're so we're trying to sort of change that and uh, bring awareness that yes, there are people like us in sim racing. There's a lot, and um, there's a lot more than people think, and we want to sort of help them sort of not feel as scared or afraid to sort of show themselves and be a part of the community. And I think so far we've done a great job. A lot of people have come up to us and thanked us for what we do. Even if we feel like it, it isn't much in the grand scheme of things, there are a few people who actually have come up to us and thank us for, you know, being out here and short sort of um, unapologetically being ourselves in a way. Absolutely. I mean, give us a little humble brag, Ruby. Like, like, tell us how far you've come already. Is I mean, because I know it's, I know it seems like it's a small, humble beginning, but I'm, I'm sure you've already done a lot and made an impact. Clearly, people are coming up to you and recognizing how important your role is in the world of esports and beyond. Yeah, I mean, uh, just recently, I feel like uh, I think a month ago, a month or two ago, we finished our first season in VCO uh, XL Low Fuel Motorsport Flexstream. VCO is esports are a big um, organization in the esports sim racing world. They do uh, they hold um, the VCO Esports World Cup um, along with a lot of other iRacing things, and we were participating in that alongside big teams, big some big controversial teams like Williams Esports. Uh, I don't know if like you've gone over uh, a lot of their controversy, but mm. they're, they're very big team regardless. Uh, we've gone up against uh, Unicorns of Love, uh, BS competition, BS plus competition. Uh, and we were sort of underdogs because um, we had two pro drivers and technically I and April Cars Carlsvard, another member of the team, we were not, we are admittedly not to the, up to the pro level of a lot of other drivers there so we were sort of we were sort of the underdogs and we managed to finish i think every race and that is already a huge um achievement for us since it was very it's basically a trial by fire for me in april and i'm so glad that we were able to sort of survive that because um top level sim racing is very very unforgiving and very Mm. cutthroat and um yeah, uh, for me personally, I've I am a screen to speed finalist. Uh, I went to Las Vegas uh, last month. In last month, and this is so cool. <laughs> Tell yeah. us a little bit about like pencil uh, screen to speed, uh, what that is, and just like the the whole experience of going from qualifying to being invited out to Las Vegas with so many of your peers. For a chance to race, for a chance to drive for real. Yeah, like at first it didn't really um, register. I feel like during the qualifying hot lapping session, it just felt like any other competition. And then all of a sudden, when I started driving to Vegas, since uh, I'm, I live close by, I live in Los Angeles, so I didn't really have to fly there. But when I got my own hotel room and I met everybody, it started sort of hitting how important it was that like a lot of like really prominent people in sim racing and just racing in general i know steffi bow is uh is is really successful in the world of motocross um saber cook was there as well and i was able to talk to her and and uh victoria thomas of kelly moss was there and i've got the chance to meet her recently in long beach again and it was very it was very humbling and um not humbling it was very um i felt very privileged for it and like the moment that everything sort of came together and all of these people sort of like made this um come to life 
yeah it it was pretty big to have us in all like like because i am i feel like i'm not a very big time esports racer i feel like i'm sort of up and coming so to have that sort of spotlight was just really surreal and it was like the first time i ever felt like wow i'm actually doing something kind of mm. pretty big oh that's that's astonishing and like it adds to like a list of like as you mentioned this is kind of a this is an upstart team but you know the whole organization is racking up pretty big levels of pretty big successes and has success on their resume uh Anor Rose, the uh, the uh, the team uh, principal, the team leader, uh, has had success in SRO esports sanctioned events. Uh, Mia Rose actually had uh, wasn't she in virtual Lamont Cup? She won a virtual Lamont Cup race against oh, uh, Sean wow. Arnold and uh, a few other big esports drivers, and th- and I think she finished third overall in the point standing. So that is incredible, massive accomplishment yeah don't get it twisted if you're listening out there these girls can drive they can drive really really fast and because you're invested in it i guess i've come to know you enough because you know we we go back a bit but people who know you know that you feel very strongly about the state of sim racing in general definitely and Mm. it's come up because uh there's been video essays about the state of racing games in general and how they've kind of grown further away from what we've grown up with as uh as children of anywhere from x to x years of age um so ruby i want to ask how do you think sim racing simulators racing games how could they be better than what they are now? Yeah, that's that's actually a really interesting question to ask because, like, I've been sort of like daydreaming about how a perfect game could, you know, like like as usual, I, I daydream a lot about how a perfect game could sort of be, like how a perfect sim racing game can be. I feel like a lot of the time, a lot of these sim racing developers are sort of pursuing this uh endless science project of a game rather than like just an actual video game it's they're more like making a software rather than something to enjoy and i think a lot of the emphasis on esports recently has sort of um it's funny because i am sort of involved in esports but it's sort of i'm sort of being self-aware to a point where i feel like the rest of the audience the people who just want to sort of immerse themselves and like be like their favorite driver, like you said before in the uh, like in the intro, Kyle Kirkwood. They want to be, they want to like imitate Kyle Kirkwood, and they want to be like they want to they want to sort of immerse themselves in like how feel like how it is to be like a an IndyCar driver, like um or whatever sort of driver. And I feel like very few games get that right. Uh, the Formula One series, um, there's a great career mode in there, uh, despite its many setbacks recently. I feel like that's the only game as a recent that actually has you feel like you're actually um, immersed in the whole sport. And like um, a lot of sim racing games really don't get that. And they're more focused on just, um, they're not, they don't even have the full flag rules and everything. It's so like, I feel like they are missing um, the make-believe um, part of it, which is funny to me in, in general, because I feel like, um, how can I say this? It sounds ridiculous, but like I feel like th- it could it could 
benefit more from the role-playing aspect rather than just the actual simulation aspect. I find it ironic in that sense that sim racing, which many people think is all about trying to create as realistic and as accurate an experience of driving the real cars, you say is missing a little bit of make-believe. That's actually quite an interesting perspective. Yeah, because um, because you can sort of um, you can sort of see even i racing where um, a lot of it's just the results and the rating, i rating, and all of this and getting the fastest lap and hot lapping. But everybody's sort of like um, so um, so invested in their i rating that they forget why they're racing in the first place, which is to sort of like pretend that they're a race car driver for a day and pretend with other people. And I feel like people are sort of ashamed of doing that because it seems uh, embarrassing, I guess. It seems like, you know, it seems not embarrassing, but it seems unnecessary, which is very strange because when you play other games like flight simulators, you pretend you, you pretend to put passengers on your plane. You do all the taxiing and all of that. And like, or if you're doing a truck simulator, you pretend to sort of unload your 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 cargo and in yeah, sim racing let, yeah you can just kind of let yourself uh immerse yourself in in being a professional racing driver like you wouldn't any of this other stuff but i guess in a lot of sim racers it just becomes a process of like being a slave to the grind yeah rise and grind gamers basically <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, it, oh, the it, worst it, kind <laughs> Yeah, it's like it's become more of like CS:GO rather than actually an actual simulator, like an actual hobby. Mm, okay, that's that's a very interesting. In other words, it's like we've, we're all taking it almost a little bit too seriously. Yeah, basically, it's like we're it's <laughs> like we've treated it as a job rather than a hobby. And so, for some people, it's a job. And like, yeah, I understand. Like, it's sort of my job to be an esports racer. But like, I feel like not everybody wants to do that because they already have a job and they just mm. want to go home and just pretend they're a race car driver for a day. Like, Oh yeah. Dre, doesn't this get also to the heart of why, like you're not the hugest, like hardcore sim racer. Cause it feels like, you know, those games do take themselves way too seriously. To the point that they stop being enjoyable at times. Like Ruby is the one person I know, by the way, that will evangelize about the good shit that project cars Two did. Say what you will about how mm. that game was a success or a failure or what, but there are good ideas in it. Yeah. I mean, personally, I think it's a bit kind of... What's supposed to be worded in this? It's strange in that as I, I, I've played a huge amount of, of arcade and Simcade star racing games all through the years. That was a huge part of my early life as a content creator. And part of the reason why I dropped playing the f1 games every year and playing the moto gp games every year was because their handling models had stopped being as fun and i still part of me thinks they were catering more towards the esports crowd and that is something that's put me right off of many of these simcade sort of accessible racing games because i know there's a big gap between a f1 2022 and an iRacing, right oh but there certainly was like five or six years ago but now it's the lines are getting blurry between those sorts of franchises and i think to people like me that just want to sit down and play a racing game casually there's less of that out there 
You know, it's funny you say that because I feel like games are actually getting harder again instead of actually more realistic. Because Why? yeah, because like um I remember back I remember um not remember, but I recall people saying back in the day as like in the days before GTR two, like games like F one challenge or Grand Prix Legends where the games were harder just because they thought that was more realistic. And it turns out that like that like cars aren't actually hard to drive they're just sort of like you know they they take practice like anything else but in the end they're trying to they're, they're made to go fast not to kill you i mean right. so like i feel like a lot of these titles coming out like becoming harder and harder i feel like they're catering more to what the esports people say they want instead of what is actually you know realistic or actually enjoyable which is um which has been pretty a bit a big problem I feel like in a lot of these sim racing titles, a lot of days because they take input from esports racers rather than taking input from their own experience and such. It's kind of like the Halo problem. Uh, I remember mm. it's kind of like the the, the 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 FPS shooter kind of problem where they take um, they take um, suggestions from actual esports players rather than what actual players want, which you know just creates this whole sort of mess. Yeah, I, I remember when people were jumping up and down when Cody's brought on David Greco to help out with their handling model, and I was sitting there going, I don't think you want this as much as you think you do. Um, not because I don't respect David, of course I do. I watched him in, in FSI oh, years ago, and I know, I know he's a damn good racing driver, but I don't think your casual audience wants to be playing a game that's more like a sim. I think this, you think people are going to buy it and are going to get put off by that because these like that sort of style of model i don't think is as fun as and accessible to the average the average joe like me or compared to someone that maybe has esports aspirations which is still a very small percentage of your overall market yes exactly exactly that's what people don't understand is that we are actually just a small facet of sim racing in general and i wish big investors would realize that you know we're not the only ones in the room and and like at the end of the day i also want to enjoy these games as games because i love racing and i love sim racing it's just that i don't want to do this all the time but i feel like that's enough of me complaining <laughs> <laughs> i mean let, let's talk let's talk about something on the brighter end of things i mean you were one of the people that went to Lo the long beach grand prix yes. in person this past weekend how was it oh it was a lot of fun i've been going since 2016 um so pretty recent actually um mm. i've not been to a grand prix until um, until like the end of high school and as always, it is just a magical experience, and this year was just even better. I got invited out to um, check out like a sort of backstage experience by some people like Kelly Moss. I've been connected to via um, Screen of Speed, as I said before, and it was just it was it, I just felt so privileged, and everybody at Kelly Moss was so nice and everything. But oh my gosh, every year I go to Long Beach, it is just magical awesome awesome and in regards to indycar events that aren't the 500 how does an event like long beach succeed in terms of the fan experience that other events seem to fail because we, we just had texas about about two weeks ago now and texas was largely panned despite it having a fantastic race um and obviously people were jumping up and down about how great a race it was and rightly so 
I know there was a lot of people that had been in the area or who lived in the area who maybe went down to the race, had friends who went down and actually criticized the fan experience. So, like, so what do you think Long Beach is doing right, Ruby? Um, well, I have not been to Texas, but I have been to Auto Club for NASCAR races before. Mm. And like, I feel like oh, it's a, it, that's a tough question because like there's definitely something that I feel like there's more magical about Long Beach rather than than Auto Club itself, like or, or Texas, as you say. And like, I feel like it's just, well, Long Beach has an advantage where it's an actual street circuit. So like there's just a lot more of the atmosphere. There's a lot. It, it feels a lot more um it feels a lot closer to the heart of long beach or the heart of a city a heart of a community so you get to see a lot more people and a lot more sort of people of different different backgrounds and people who are just casual fans or people just looking to have a good time and there's a lot definitely a lot more of those kind of experiences there at long beach than i would say at a sort of uh dedicated racetrack because it's an it's a, it's a fan experience that's more catered towards everybody instead of just a race fan. But also, I feel like it has a lot to do with just how sort of accessible everything is because IMSA comes to the same uh, weekend and um, everything. And like whenever I'm in the IMSA paddock, everything feels very comfy, very sort of homey, and you could sort of just talk to drivers, talk to team members, and they and they talk back to you, and and you know you can have some casual small talk, you can ask, ask questions, and they answer stuff, and I feel like with uh like dedicated IndyCar events, like you can have sort of have the same experience, but I feel like everybody is sort of like taking it more seriously, and like it's more um, it's definitely more um focused and that's not a bad thing i feel like people like complain about the new iowa sort of weekend because there's like a concert like trying like there's a concert that nobody's gonna go to or nobody's gonna specifically go to iowa for but i feel like a lot of what long beach has going for it is that it's just it's just long beach you know like it's like it's it's a lot more natural it has a lot more history rather than just texas it's just kind of there Mm -hmm. it feels like it feels like a tr- uh, a permanent surrogate trying to hold like a date just for the sake of like we've got a date on the calendar. Let's let's just let's just see how it kicks off, and if people want to come by and see it, you know, they'll come by and see it, you know. But Long Beach had record attendance this weekend, and that's really really awesome. And look, Great we can rehash have. our whole we can rehash our whole discussion, maybe not in front of guests about you know. <laughs> Obviously, IndyCar has is having problems getting people to watch on streaming or television events that are not the Indianapolis 500. But it does go to show, like there are individual events that can succeed in bringing people out. Yes, Long Beach does have a built-in advantage, is that it's right in the city. It's hard to avoid it. But I live ten mm, minutes but, across from the from the from the uh, event, so that's that's another advantage I have. <laughs> That helps. That certainly helps. But it is actually good to hear that Long Beach had a record crowd because I've been very critical about the way IndyCar promotes itself. And you know, I was quite down on Texas, despite it being a great race, that you know there were a lot of pissing contests about how it was hosting races, the TV ratings weren't great, and you know, the fan turnout wasn't great. You could see a lot of empty seats um in the pictures of the event itself so it's actually great to hear that long beat seems to be to, you know seem to take a step in the right direction 
And considering it's post-COVID too, mm. don't get me wrong. We're not, we are not, we are not post-COVID, but like we are post the onset of the pandemic and everything having to stop for a while. So that even helps. with our, we, yeah. So we have everything in place and people are coming out to see two awesome races. Man, I cannot believe Ricky Taylor did that in the last lap. I'm trying to figure out what I can't believe less. <laughs> Ricky Taylor throwing the race away with two laps left with plenty of time to make a move around that Porsche 963 or Sebastian Bourdais la- race lasting 15 seconds. <laughs> he can drive the track at his sleep. <laughs> toss a coin i've never think i'd ever see sebastian ball eh? one of the great drivers of the 21st century spin out essentially in a straight line and his race end in 15 seconds i'm in, i'm startled yeah my <laughs> father next to me um he like he was he is a big um sport day supporter and he couldn't believe it either like he just was sort of broken for the whole race until um <laughs> until oh, uh, no. I, again the last lap and he was just, he just could not believe, I don't know, well, not the last lap, but it's just, we couldn't, we, we both could not believe what was going on in front of us. I think it was the thing, like, it was just a, a wild um, Saturday. I also love that when Ricky Taylor hit the wall at the end, they had Matthew Jaminet's radio going, and apparently Jaminet said, this, if, if he makes that corner, that's mad impressive. Turns out he didn't make the corner. Um <laughs> that didn't go well for him. Um, but that was one of the two great races we had at Long Beach this weekend. Should we talk a little bit about the other one? Oh, I think we should get into the other one. Let's get in the main event, the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach, right after this. Andretti are back. From having only one car in the top 10 across the first two rounds of the season, Andretti hit back with a 1-2-4 finish. Sorry, Devlin. At Long Beach. And in the biggest surprise of them all, depending on who you ask, Kyle Kirkwood dominated the race, leading 53 of 85 laps from pole position to take his first series victory from Romain Grosjean and Marcus Ericsson sharing a podium in third. Colton Herter, by the way, was the uh, other Andretti in fourth, in case you couldn't tell already. Now, we dedicated an entire YouTube special to this man's quality, so it's only fair, knowing that we can give it some humble brag, RJ, of our own. We're going to give Kirkwood some flowers, because that was um, that was an incredible performance. It was. This was not the handiwork of a driver who in 17 races last year crashed out of seven of them. This is not the handiwork of a driver whose average finish in 20 starts is now a sparkling and pristine, uh, let me check my notes here, 19.3. Huh. Uh, This looked like the work of a driver who was American Open Wheel Racing's highest touted prospect. There is a reason why we had a YouTube special de- born out of anxiety whether or not he was going to get a ride. Because let's rewind it a bit. Uh, he Kyle Kirkwood, from 2017 to 2021, participated in the following contests. You have Formula 4 United States, Formula Regional Americas, the first rung of the road to Indy, that's USF 2000, the series that is now called USF Pro 2000, and the series that is now called Indy Next. In four 
uh, four straight seasons, reminder, Indy Nets was suspended in 2020 due to the pandemic. He won all five of those championships in a span of four years with a whopping 55 wins and 84 races from 2017 to 2021. I am not even including his four rays in IMSA, which already include multiple race wins, including Petit Le Mans in his class. This looked like a driver that was no longer having to push at the limit to get results out of cut rate equipment and setups like extracting blood from a stone. Because with all due deference to the lineage of AJ Foyt racing, this is where they are at right now. They are not at Andretti's level. No, He's not having to do that anymore. This is a driver who's confident and comfortable up front by his own admission. He says, this is a lot easier. This is a lot less stressful than having to fight your way through the pack. I bet you we'll probably get into some of those reasons why in a little bit. He was able to dictate the pace of the race. The only time he wasn't in control was off the second safety car restart. Uh, he got pinched behind Augustine Canapino's wounded car, which had contact with Elio Castrodeves and the wall. That gave Joseph Newtonard an opportunity to slip on through and lead the middle stint, but Andretti Autosport gave him a perfect strategy and pit stop that allowed him to overcut Newgarden, but then had to spend its entire last since saving fuel. And it allowed, and he could stay ahead of Roman Grosjean, who settled in the second, and all Kirkwood had to do was just do the same things that got him to the stage with, to begin with, and it worked! It was bully ball, only without stepping on someone's chest first, Draymond. Um, look, I, when I wrote <laughs> when I wrote about this on the website, I was I went I took more of an emotional historical deep dive into it for the reason of this was a really emotional win for Andretti. Like Michael Michael was in tears. Um, during the victory lane celebrations. This one clearly meant a lot. This was Andretti's best race result since mid-Ohio 2020 when they locked out the podium. And even then, it was only kind of a sort of because Colton was still in a partly-owned Harding car at the time. So technically, I guess you could say it was a, a podium lockout for Andretti. But yeah, it was, it was their best result in a couple of years. And then you look at the way that Andretti has not exactly had an easy time of late, trying and to get into F1, they're struggling with that. Colton Herter's futures been up in the air, been his name's been tossed around for multiple F1 seats. They got a brand new co-owner with endless wells of cash. So like, we'll pay mm. whatever you asked us to get in on the grid. Yeah, and uh, the grid was like, uh, no, we don't want you. We like our little Kushti franchise model. Thank you very much. You know, they had the big mid-Ohio blow-up last year that, you know, dragged the entire team into disrepute. Michael Andretti threatening to fight people on a hot mic. Um, they've not had it easy, and Kirkwood's not had it easy. You know, I mean, spending a year at AJ Foyt is... Oh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a brutal time, and I don't wish it on anybody because you could tell just by watching him that he was overdriving that car to get any sort of results out of it and i don't think it's a coincidence he had four or five crashes of his own volition last season and i was one of these guilty parties that maybe thought that the hype of kirkwood maybe was a bit overblown i was wrong this performance was why everybody was so excited about this guy coming through as a prospect this was a 
a nearly flawless weekend. Qualified on pole, be he pushed Joseph Newgarden. Who bullies Joseph Newgarden on a racetrack? No one. Like, he's Joseph Newgarden. He's arguably the best driver in the whole series. And the way he did it, taking track position, the overcut, holding his nerve with Grosjean, incredible. This was the first real race that I feel like Kogan had a shot to win. And he took it. He was brilliant. Now, if you get this season, he was turned into a pogo stick in St. Pete and he was driven into by Alex Rossi in Texas. I mean, to come back like that takes real bottle. So props to him. I think he drove magnificently. I mean, Ruby, you got to see him live in person. Like, what did you make of Kogwood's performance? Oh, I loved it. I loved every moment of it, actually. Um, I know my dad uh, next to me was sort of like wishing for more action, but like um, he's 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 a uh, he's a um, um, He's a sort of uh, original NASCAR fan, so you could see how that sort of <laughs> mm. pans out. But um, no, um, I loved seeing Kirkwood um, just absolutely dominate, not dominate, but I guess sort of like come into his own this whole weekend. I was really surprised seeing him like just mm. snipe out that podium. Posi- I mean, that that pole position, like I was just. I was just freaking out in my own sort of in my own sort of like Discord chat, like like telling people like like oh my gosh, Kirkwood got got the pole. Like I didn't like I was one of the people that didn't believe in Kirkwood. I just felt like Kirkwood was um like I felt like Kirkwood was just like um on the same tier as Devlin De Francesco, which is really awful to say. <laughs> like, but there's been there's been some there's been a few um you know duds at Andretti, so I I felt like you know I felt like I was like um I didn't want like I felt like not to like insult the guy, but I felt like he wasn't anything like special like at first glance. But you know, Long Beach has completely like Long Beach has completely changed my tune. And now I feel like he is somebody to look out for, and it's it's amazing what it's amazing what a different car can do. Because uh, uh, my driver Sato, um, over the years, he's been with uh, AJ Foyt, and I knew I know how that could be. <laughs> you know what's ironic is that Takuma Sato is part of another is part of a short but very fun list of people that won their first race at Long Beach. Sato did it in an AJ Foyt car, <laughs> yeah. and they haven't won since. But uh, th- this weekend was the tenth anniversary of AJ Foyt's last win in IndyCar, and yeah, it was this very weekend, ten years ago with Takuma Sato in 2013, which kind of says it all. And to b- double down on your point, Ruby, I'm not saying Devlin's a pay driver higher, but he's had 20 IndyCar starts and he's not cracked the top 11 yet. <laughs> I mean, it ain't pretty. Look, at, at least Andretti were in a position where they could just undo their oversight if you will they realize we we may we may we kind of promoted the wrong guy on merit let's undo that kirkwood has this big cushy parachute for like half a last season where even if it gets really really rough at the end he's still got a guaranteed place i do like this little parallel i want to rewind it 25 years ago because this number 27 car had a different owner barry green uh, and he decided to take a chance on another second-year driver who had all the speed in the world, but just kept making the dumbest mistakes, crashing out of his first race in Miami, 
crashing behind the safety car in Road America. He qualifies on pole in Toronto, but then he gets taken out in the first corner. And then later in the race, he crashes again. And maybe he knew something that the rest of the people in the paddock didn't when they were thinking, oh my God, why is Barry Green taking a chance on Dario Franchitti? And we all mm. know how he turned out over the years. Oh yeah, you, you could certainly, you never quite know. And like, I've, I've, the more I watch F1, the more I sit back and I go by one of my friend's points. That was Sasha. He, he might be listening in. Hi, Sasha, if you are. Um, about how we should probably be giving drivers a three-year berth to really see what makes them tick rather than being so quick and often so judgmental because it could be hard. I feel um, like, sorry to interrupt, but I feel like F1 over the years hmm. like has really sort of like pushed that mentality. Like um, Bourdais, another driver we talked about earlier, I feel like um, you talked about earlier, was one of those drivers who just was sort of pushed off and pushed away, like sort of like put in the trash just for like a few, just like a couple seasons that are, that have not been sort of, you know, um, the best. So like that's sort of gotten worse now, like, especially with the culture of F1 where we mm. see drivers who just don't mature like as fast as we want them. And we just see them just disappear when they have so much potential. I literally sat down with the man who fired Mick Schumacher about three hours ago, so I kind of know how that feels. <laughs> it's 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 a weird world out there, and I think it's very much a "what have you done for me lately" sort of vibe. And you you got rookies that are coming in under immediate pressure because F one's been absolutely spoilt rotten with young talent in the last half decade or so. And now it's like, well, you've got to be great and getting points on debut now. Otherwise, you might be out by some other Academy Junior, the you know, next man up, who's, who's barely turned 19 or some crazy shit like that. So it's a very ruthless path, even more so than than it was five or ten years ago. And Kirkwood is the walking definition of that. And like I said, first chance he had to, to win a race in IndyCar, in my opinion, he goes and wins it, which is pretty remarkable stuff all around. We've got to give some credit to Romain Grosjean as well. Because I think Grosjean drove... He's had a very, very good season so far. I feel like I feel like he's been very hard done by because of the results don't tell the full picture, RJ. But he, he, he could, maybe should have won in St. Pete. He was running top five in texas and he's he's finally had a result that was probably deserved in second but it felt for a while like it could be grosjean's first win Romain grosjean hasn't had a bad race all year and like yeah there were there there's been times where he's been unlucky in the past but he also had some he, he also had some stinkers last year like if you if you ignore like anything else any other misfortunes that may have been afflicted upon him by other drivers he still had some pretty crummy crummy races but this year i really think this is the year they finally gets that first indycar win it's just going to be a matter of when not if because he's driving in his element at all manner of tracks it's not just like we know he can drive around road and street courses that's kind of his forte the texas race in particular really gave me confidence to like he can win anywhere it's starting to get to that point certainly it it, it feels like 
he can win any given track and any given discipline now. He's certainly developed as an oval racer in the last year. And we knew his, his his street track game was great. He was we were having a conversation with King last year at this very race that Grosjean might low key be the leader of this team. And I've gone back and forth on that thought over the last year or so. But there is certainly something to that. I think I, I think Grosjean in, in another world, in an alternate universe, is leading this championship right now. And he's not too far off, though. I mean, a few more results and he won't be too far off. I mean, Marcus Erickson, all he has to do is just finish racing consistently and keep his head screwed on straight. And he's back in the championship lead, which he is can, leading by 15 points. Can we just, can I just say as well as a side note, can we please stop calling Marcus Erickson the sneaky Swede? He's not sneaky. He's just good. <laughs> he's just he's good just now. Good. Like, he's a very, very good IndyCar driver now, and I don't like the fact people keep calling him sneaky, like him winning is meant to be a surprise. He's good enough where it's not a surprise anymore. Or to that point, you know, just using the, his five years of being the wrong F1 driver at the wrong time as a crutch to beat the series over the head with. People can't help themselves on Twitter with that. Oh, it's 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 so annoying. I mean, I'm sure you've seen it too, Ruby, where it's like, it it's constant... Um, appendage measuring contests regarding my series is better than your series and Marcus Erickson's one of these vocal point people that is used as a yardstick to defend either party. You know, I can't stand both sides because it's just like adding to the fire to the flame. That's exactly what they want and that's exactly what um, what they live for like just to troll around you know, Formula 1 fans are sort of turning into football fans like sort of big six football fans now in, in terms of us, like, fans, social media and such, like what you see with Chelsea and Man, Man United and Man City. Well, to be fair, like... Uh, I, Ruby, are you sure you're going to be talking about football given I know you now support Leeds United? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'd rather Ruby, not talk Ruby, about... are they going to stay up? No, I'd, rather not, I'd rather not talk about that right now. I'd rather talk about motorsport right now, so... Um... Okay. That's okay. fair. Uh, uh, okay, as an aside, can we talk about... Your favorite driver? Can we talk about Pato Award? Pato Let's Award. talk about Pato Award. Well, my father's favorite driver, not my favorite driver, but I mean, I guess it's second since since Sato is not at the road courses this year. Well, that's that's fair. There was some controversy in this race with Pato Award's driving standards. He made a late lunge on Scott Dixon that put him into the outside wall before the tunnel that led to a caution and Dixon fall into the back of the field. A few laps later, he span across the same curb, nearly wrecking Marcus Ericsson. Pato apologized for the second impact, but not the first on Dixon. Dixon didn't take kindly to the action after eventually DNFing, saying, quote, it's all gloves off from this point. Scott Dixon's first DNF since Gateway 2021. Did anything significant that caused Scott Dixon to drop out of that race? Fireworks, apparently. He took a, f- a fireworks artillery shell to the side pod? As you do. Well, this one was more of a, a figurative, uh, uh, metaphorical fireworks at the side pod, if you will. Um, Pato? Pato, you've been great. What what happened this weekend, man? <sighs> this, this was a strange one, man, because Pato went into this race's championship leader, was running in the top six again and straight off the restart 
he takes that lunge on Dixon, which we'll get to in a minute. And then the second one is an absolute slam dunk, silly bit of driving. I think that's pretty concrete. Right now, how do we feel about the first incident with Dixon? Because I think this is one that's very much a room splitter. Um, I was actually going through and, uh, can I call J.R. Hildebrand your colleague now? Uh, because by, yeah, by way of co- J.R. Hildebrand did say something poignant on the race IndyCar podcast, which he co-hosts about it. He said, quote, every position has more value basically now than it did 10 years ago or five years ago. The difference that I see in terms of the way that the racecraft has evolved is that 10 years ago, it was very rare that you put guys in positions where even if you were going to make the corner, that for sure they wouldn't. That was just kind of generally a no-no. And so it very rarely happened. You would have a Dario Franchitti up in your face after the race if you had done that. And so I think that's what's happened is you have a younger crop of drivers that didn't really grow up with that being the case. They're just hammering for every position. They're running qualifying laps everywhere, every lap of the race. Now, I'm not going to put this all on just like the young kids have no respect because I I generally think the young drivers race each other with as much respect as their more experienced and tenured counterparts give them and have the leverage to give them, which then ties in a point that we had about St. Petersburg was that race director Kyle Novak, head stewards Ari Leindijk, Matt Pappas, both winners in your own right. I don't, I don't want to say that you should take out good, hard racing. I'm not saying that there shouldn't be like incidental content for positions. You know, it happens sometimes, but uh, you kind of gotten too far in the other direction. You know, you, it's become almost like what people expect out of NASCAR British touring cars. The drivers can just lean on each other, turn with eight wheels instead of four, and whatever happens to the other driver, eh, not my problem. I mean, I'd love to hear your perspective on this, Ruby, because obviously you you sim race. I'm sure you've been in many a heated wheel-to-wheel confrontation. How did you feel about it? Well, um, it's hard to say because, like, on one hand, I feel like it's, like, I feel like it's, like, you know, he's got to go for it. Like, every, every, you know, it's not, it's not a chair. It's not a charity. It's not a, like, it's a, it's a real sporting event. Like, there's competition. There's, like, every point matters on the line. And, you know, if you go for it, you go for it. I mean, I have a bit of bias, of course. Like I said before, my favorite driver in the car was Sato. So that has a lot of influence <laughs> on it. But also at the same time, I feel like because of they repaved that section, I remember talking to uh, somebody in the Imza Paddock, uh, one of the Inception drivers, was that I heard him say that there's so much more, um, there's just so much grip where they repaved it in front of the convention center that you can make dives and everything. It just feels like, you know, it gives, and like with these drivers having like nowadays having more confidence, like, you know, why not do that? Like, why not just dive all the way from Catalina Island into that corner <laughs> and just, and just like hopefully hope it sticks. And like, it, it's just a perfect storm of situations. Like, um, you know, Pato is like, Pato is, um, cause I feel like Pato has not, not had the best of luck here at Long Beach. I remember not him, him not really having such great races uh the past few years i've been watching uh lost that title to side but ed jones took him out a couple of years ago yeah yeah i was definitely i was right there to see it in front of me and uh i feel like 
I feel like there's a lot of that frustration sort of like um, brewing over, especially um, especially when um, he was the fastest car like coming into the fast six, and you know, just not, the pace just was not there for the actual sort of pole time. Mm. It's just why did he burn that extra set of like sticker tires during qualifying? That was sure. one that like like I know I know we've been kind of cold on James Hinchcliffe lately, but he was right. You know, he could have saved that set of tires for the fast six. Yeah, and I wouldn't be in this position. Yeah, so like I feel like all this sort of like I feel like and I do understand Scott Dixon because like like I said, he just dived all the way that all like and that's kind of like a move that you would not have done in past years. But uh I don't know how to feel about it. I feel like it's just a racing incident and you know, um Dixon is inclined to feel whatever he he wants to feel like and you know, Pato doesn't have to apologize, so I mean um, it just, and, but I feel like this is what IndyCar needs in a way. It needs this sort of tension. It needs this sort of, these sort of storylines. Like it, we're kind mm. of like it, it, like, I don't want, um, needless drama, but I feel like we need these sort of like, these sorts of like, um, uh, not rivalries, but we need the sort of history between drivers and like, that's just what that's a little bit of needle. Yeah. I like a little bit of needle. A little bit, a little bit of beef is fun on the palettes. I've always said this, and look, I I'm the definition of I I think sports fights are great, personally. So I am all for some tension. And and look, I was here, I was out here cracking jokes during the live broadcast all the way through. I was saying that Padero Ward doing an interview in front of an armed posse, I thought was funny. Um, there was about fifty fans behind him, all wanted a selfie, an autograph, and a high five because Pato, I think, is rapidly becoming the most popular driver in the whole series oh definitely you could see in long beach i don't know if it's because we're we're i mean because there's a lot of hispanic people and latino people here but mm. every everybody had a pato shirt on or a pato hat or anything pato. interesting yeah there you go like it, 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 it came off that way on tv certainly so i'm not surprised um that's been doubled down on the trap because my man is drawing fans the hispanics love this dude it's like and, and understandably IndyCar, IndyCar, Mexico City race. I don't care how much money do it, it takes to have. Do, make that do shit it. happen. Do it. Do it yesterday. Um, but yeah, I was going to say, like, that was funny. I still, part of me still thinks it's armed security in case Emma Davies Dixon comes up with a shovel. Um, but I also... Look, f- I have <laughs> no problems with Scott Dixon himself. The, no. the worst thing he's ever done, apart from beating my favorite driver in a tie break in 2015, was oh. just being a guy who wins all the time while being, uh, while being just so insufferably nice and mild-mannered. To the point that people think he's like the the walking definition of Nyquil sleepy time chicken that puts on a racing <laughs> helmet and s- puts on his gloves every day. People it's cannot like, stand how oh. consistently dominant he is. Kind of like the yeah, it, Jimmy Johnson yeah. effect. Oh god, yeah. Like, and I know Jimmy got nicknamed Vanilla for a while for years for that very reason. Dixon's a little bit like that. I think James Hinchcliffe summed it up well on his podcast off track a few years ago, where he said he's basically Peter Perfect from Wacky Races. He's like he's he's fine. He, there's nothing inherently wrong with him. He's just never a guy you root for. It's it's really weird. But it, my thoughts on the whole incident were it was. I, I think there's some mitigation. I think Pado's lunge was late, and I don't like the fact he went way over the inside curb. I think Pado knew this was a I'm going to put Dixon in a yield or crash scenario, and I'm not a fan of that. However. 
I do also think that Dixon left the door open. Um, and I think that he was vulnerable to an inside lunge and Pato took the chance. And I feel like the drivers should know this, especially when in practice, like they notice if, like, if you notice uh, a certain part of the track is grippier than usual, I feel like, um, I feel like they should sort of expect something they've not seen before. If that's sort of a valid thing to say. Well, someone will gamble, especially off a fresh off a restart. That totally makes sense. And I think part of the problem here as well is the way IndyCar stewards itself. Because in IndyCar, they don't don't have F1-style time penalty. I think if Pado Award got a five-second time penalty for his Dixon incident, I don't think there'd be too many complaints. He could have a long lap penalty, and he just has to go around the freeway before he rejoins the track. (laughs) Yeah, 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 MotoGP style. But I was going to say, like, I don't think there'd have been too many complaints from the audience if there was a five-second time penalty for Dixon if we had F1's rulebook. You know, it was a minor incident. It happens. You know, you put Dixon in the wall. We've got to hit you with something, but five seconds isn't necessarily a race ender, right? But in IndyCar, the minimum punishment is a back-of-the-line penalty. Like, if there's a caution, which there was after this incident, you'd send Pado to the back of the line which is what happened with Will Power when he put Colton Herter in the wall at St. Petersburg. Was that incident worthy of a back-of-the-line penalty, which at Long Beach might as well be a death sentence? Probably not. And I think that's kind of the problem. Like, I think there's, like, too big a gap between zero and penalty in IndyCar now. Like, I would love for IndyCar to have that five-second time penalty, but it's not going to have it anytime soon. So that's annoying. Um, And I think that stewarding misdirection is part of the problem here. There's nothing to hit a minor incident with. So when a minor incident happens, we all get mad when the steward sits on their hands and don't do anything. Because I know when we were watching this race on Discord and we were pissed there wasn't a penalty for Pato Award for that incident. But then you it's realize like asking him to yield position, it that would probably be like the the net step up from like no penalty is just ask sure. him to yield track position. You can't really ask a guy to yield track position to a driver who is stuffed in the tire barriers and would later break down with a mechanical. Right. There's not much you can do about that one, unfortunately. Um it goes to the way Indy cost you is itself. Like at least Formula One has a wide range of penalties that are that you can adapt towards the situation. IndyCar doesn't really have that. It's either zero or drive through, and drive through wouldn't have that that as a punishment would not have fit the crime, in my opinion. And as a result, you get this weird sort of gray area situation where no one's happy, and that's annoying. Yeah. I I agree. It's like for the second straight IndyCar street race, we are talking about uh, driving standards, maybe not being up to par what they should be for this one incident. Generally speaking, I would say the driving standards were better. I'd say so. There was more on-track action. Again, this is a place where overtaking is tough, and there was more of it than we've had in any recent years. I think all the top city was just online between... uh, Callum Eilat getting all the blame for Augustin Canapino's uh, unfortunate retirement, which oh, yes. wasn't even Callum Eilat's fault. 
healthiest UK Argentine relations. What can I tell you? Uh, the Scott Ditson and Paddle Ward and the Emma's Davies Ditson stuff. Uh, it could all be so much better. I don't want IndyCar to have. I want there to be needle in in and my way spread interest in IndyCar. I think that's why I got so tilted last time we talked about it. But I also don't want the toxicity to come with it. Yeah, and I I I can't believe I've got to say this publicly for the second week in a row. Please do not send death threats to drivers. It's disgust. It's disgusting, and it's horrible that. Canamilo had to take all that because some um, Argentine commentator had to come out and say that, oh, you've made 44 million enemies, Callum. Like, you know exactly what you're doing. Like, the guy, the same guy came out afterwards and was like, oh, I didn't mean to, like, facilitate hate or anything like that. And I'm like, well, mate, you did. Like, you've got a level of accountability in your position now yeah. and unfortunately people like anger like in some in some instances people what like to take their anger on something what do you always say dre sports fandom is built on hate and now that argentina has a driver that they can go ride or die with like they see him on a chance to lead even if it's off sequence it's just like hang on a minute well yeah they, they, yeah they lost their fucking minds on that and i thought it was ridiculous not in a good way, a horrible way. Please don't send death threats to drivers or anybody. I'm glad that this series had to address that on, on social media and even Pato Award chipped in. And I'm glad he did, given his, I wouldn't say newfound popularity, but he's certainly become one of the series' most popular drivers. So for him to come out and publicly make a statement about it, I think maybe there might have been some needle there between him and Dixon that people blew out of proportion as well, most likely. But even if it was an accident and if it was a reference to the Callum incident, I don't know. But it, it was still well-timed and appreciated nonetheless. Um Yes, IndyCar, I, I absolutely agree with RJ, is at its best when there's a little bit of needle. I mean, Indy rivals, ha ha ha. Um, it's good that we have some rivalries because it is such a popularity-driven sport um, and fan bases make sense. But at the same time, I don't want Hamilton Verstappen to levels of bullshit in IndyCar. That's the worst thing it could possibly have right now. <laughs> already treading it yeah uh and you could see you could see some of that coming through in the last couple of weeks and it, it sucks that one of our friends racing kate was dogpiled by scott mclaughlin last week when they quite rightly pointed out that the series pr has been dreadful in recent years and um mclaughlin was like oh but there's an embargo <laughs> you know and there wasn't it was just McLaughlin was objectively wrong and this whole attitude of oh well, no one cares about an IndyCar driver at the White House of course people care about IndyCar at the fucking White House like hello this series needs all the promotion it can get it's just oh, a lot of it is stupid and look we're you know. not going to end this on a bad note say, no. because like this was a genuinely good race like, it was it was a very good race yeah we got a we got a brand new first time winner. A mm -hmm. lot of people, including our guest today, had a really good time watching it. Hello. And all the other racing that was going on as part of it. Because there was IMSA too. Mm. Absolutely. And IMSA was great. And 
yeah, I I really do think that this was a very good weekend. Great to hear that the turnout was so good uh, as well. Like it, it, it does squash some of my fears about the series and its stagnancy. So that's good to hear that that crowds are on the up at a time like this. Um, and long may it continue. Um, but before we get out of here, real quick, Ruby, tell the good people out there where they can find you. Well, um, I am on Twitter at MikeOhar. Um, it is um it is m oh gosh i wish i had just the right i found it m4 i k o heart yeah with zero the o is the zero because the the other is already taken um and i am on instagram with michael heart um no 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 numeral characters and uh yeah you can and uh you can catch um the you can catch queen's design at queensdesignracing.com you can catch our twitter at queens esport and you can follow my project which i do on the side racing heart gt on twitter as well you are a world builder of an entire alternate racing universe and i think that's just cool as hell and listen like people will say oh that's like that's a little weird to have like this whole rp universe like would you consider the amount of like content creators who came up starting like their own like toy nascar leagues on youtube (laughs) i think that is cool as hell thank you but it's mostly it's mostly the the work of june at racing heart so um i only i can only take a bit of credit Props to June. Props to you, Ruby. You're welcome back anytime. Thank you so much for coming on and being able to express yourself, your projects, and and all the very best in the world of sim racing, wherever it may take you. Your your role is very, very important in a space that needs all the support it can get. Thank you. Um, and again, the very the very best in, in wherever it goes, because like I said, your your role is important. It's needed and we're delighted that we, we could we gave you a platform to be able to to get yourself out there a little bit more and like i said long may it continue so like i said ruby welcome back anytime my friend thank you um a pleasure to have you on um we'll be back next week for formula e at templehof heights it's, Temple Hoff, it's, it's that race in berlin again i do i do like berlin so that'll be a fun one for formula e we'll be back next week to talk a bit about a bit about that we're almost done with f1 spring break frank god um but uh please you can find us one more time we're on uh motorsport101.com all our social media is on there and of course, you can follow us on Twitter at uh, Dre underscore WTF1 and RJ O'Connell at Mako Hart as well. Remember, that's the that, that's, that's, that's a four and a zero in it. Just, just search Ruby Acosta's name. You can't miss it. You'll be fine. Um, but uh, all that is on there. Of course, our Patreon's on there as well. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. If you like us on there, give us a, give, if you want to back us financially, you can. Some extra perks in there as well. Thanks again to Ruby for coming on. We'll be back next week for Formula E in Berlin. But until then, I've been Dre Harrison, David Ruby Acosta, and RJ O'Connell. And until then, sign out. Later, y'all. <laughs>